You're listening to Western Sydney Health Check, a podcast talking all things health, providing current and accurate healthcare information for the community and our staff. I'm Sia. And I'm Harrison. And we'll be taking you through this podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the second season of Western Sydney Health Check. We had a blast launching this podcast last year to bring you the latest in-depth news around COVID-19 and then expanding it to cover everything we do here. So I'm really excited to be back for another year. It's a lovely summer's day here today in Western Sydney. We're looking at a top of 28 degrees and heading into a weekend where the mercury will creep up. It's great weather for a swim or a bushwalk, but hopefully not an encounter with one of Australia's famous venomous creatures. Joining me today is a man who knows all about what snakes and spiders can do to the human body, Associate Professor Naren Gunja. Naren is a clinical and forensic toxicologist here at Western Sydney Health, so he knows pretty much everything there is to know about toxins. Naren, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very welcome. So to begin with, could you please just explain to us your role? What is a toxicologist and what's the difference between clinical and forensic? Yeah, so a toxicologist is a specialist in uh, drugs, chemicals, poisons, uh, as well as uh, covering venom and toxins. So the specialist uh, in a clinical sense is a medical doctor who looks after patients who have been exposed to drugs and chemicals, as well as been uh, bitten by um, venomous animals. Mm. It also covers a little bit of... um, plants and mushrooms that are toxic. So we do see a little bit of that. Um, That tends to be the clinical side Uh in the hospital sense with uh, living human beings. Whereas the forensic side, uh, the work tends to be uh, with deceased people where we work with the coroner and um, police sometimes to do the medical legal work of uh, either um, poisoning victims um, or as well as uh, in case somebody has been um, had an altercation with the law when it comes to chemicals and drugs. Interesting. So that's more of your CSI world, I guess. A little bit, yes. Okay. So it sounds pretty fascinating. Uh, what got you into the world of toxicology? Uh, I've always had a bit of a an interest in um, pharmacology, in chemicals and poisons. Um, read a lot of uh, murder mysteries <laughs> when I was a little <laughs> kid and... Uh, um, had always a, an interest in chemistry. Uh, and then toxicology is also a, uh, a known subspecialty of emergency medicine. So it was a natural progression from my primary specialty there. Yeah, there you go. So obviously, uh, Australia has got a bit of a reputation for our snakes and spiders, and I guess some of our other venomous or toxic animals as well, maybe a blue bottle or a jellyfish. Um, is this reputation deserved? You know, is Australia maybe more dangerous than other countries or other areas? I think we like keeping that myth alive. <laughs> it keeps uh, it interesting for all sorts of reasons, including tourism. But uh, uh, Australia does tend to have some of the most venomous and toxic um, fauna and flora uh, around the world. That's not to say it's the most or it's the only place, uh, but it certainly tends to have that. Uh, it possibly has something to do with the evolutionary way that animals have migrated to this land when uh, Australia split uh, from the big Gondwana land scenario wow. and where thing animals kind of got um, 
separated from other parts and tended to evolve within our area. But uh, evolutionary biology is definitely not my forte. (laughs) But safe to say we've definitely got some of the most toxic animals in the world. So um, definitely uh, we've got um, some very venomous um, spiders and snakes here. Um, If not the most in the world, uh, definitely quite a few in the top 10. And uh, we've got some quite uh, venomous... uh, and we've also got some uh, poisonous plants uh, and uh, poisonous mushrooms in Australia as well. Mm. Now, I understand some of these most famous ones, most venomous ones, you know, more live in your sort of desert, arid kind of area. So let's bring it closer to home, thinking at Sydney, maybe Western Sydney in particular. What sorts of dangerous animals are we likely to encounter here? And, you know, is this time of year more dangerous? So we've certainly got uh, venomous snakes in our area and funnel-web spiders, redback spiders, which are um, not endemic or only in Western Sydney, but they are found in the Sydney region. Mm. Uh, We also have, uh, we shouldn't forget, the ocean is not that far from Western Sydney. So we do get patients who are stung by blue bottles and um, fish that have poisonous spikes on them. Wow. Um, so we don't have a lot of jellyfish like Irukandji and box jellyfish down in this part of New South Wales. Sure. Uh, but it's possible that you could get that in that sort of northern New South Wales area, but it's much more common in Queensland and parts of northern Australia. Those more tropical kind of areas. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And this time of the year, you know, the sun's out, people are more likely to be bushwalking, for example. Is that when you're most likely to have one of these encounters or might they be under the toilet seat, you know? <laughs> so summer's definitely uh, a more prevalent time for uh, bites and stings uh, and encounters with j- dangerous Australians. Uh, and that's because not just the animals are more active, but so are the humans. Mm. So there's more likely for interactions to occur during a bushwalk, during a swim, perhaps uh Animals may come into the home area where they may not be doing that during winter and uh, they'll be more likely for an interaction during summer. Okay. What are some examples? What are some of the memorable cases that you've seen in Western Sydney in your time here? So we've had some pretty serious uh, snake and venomings in Western Sydney. Uh, We've had death adder bites. We've had uh, tiger snakes. Uh, We've had brown snakes including deaths from brown snakes over the last 10 years or so. Uh, So that occurs, not frequently, but it does happen. Uh, We also see quite a bit of uh, spider bites in Western Sydney, particularly uh, redback spiders, uh, which would be quite common in Western Sydney, uh, which can cause a painful uh, envenoming syndrome. Uh, The other bite we do get around the area, but a little bit more common uh, in the more peripheral parts of Sydney uh, and in the North Shore area are funnel web spiders. Uh-huh. Uh, funnel webs are all up and down the eastern seaboard, east of the dividing range, uh, all the way up to northern Queensland and all the way down to uh, Victoria and maybe even Tasmania. We do see funnel web bites in Sydney and some of those do present to Western Sydney hospitals. Uh-huh. I think a funnel web is probably one of people's greatest fears because they're just such a hideous looking creature as well as a fearsome reputation. Is that a type of spider that might kill you? Is it that serious? 
Uh, deaths have been reported from funnel web spiders. Uh, as you can imagine, humans aren't the natural food source of uh, a funnel web spider. It is an accidental uh, interaction usually, um, or if somebody's uh, threatening or the funnel web feels threatened, it lashes out and tries to bite you. Uh, and often these bites are dry. No um, saliva or venom is injected into the human. Huh. But occasionally they can be in, uh, venom is injected and you can become envenomed. And uh, small people, uh, usually children or uh, lightweight adults, um, have been the victim of funnel web bites and have died. It's very uncommon in the modern era since we've had anti-venom in place. Uh-huh. Uh, so the deaths tend to have been before the 1970s when the anti-venom was developed. Sure. And you mentioned death adder before, which is just the most horrifying name e- ever. <laughs> is that a wild snake around here or was that someone's pet or what was going on there? Uh, no, they are out in the wild and in the periphery of Sydney, um, particularly around the Hawkesbury River, you will find um, uh, death adders. Uh, they are a short, fat little snake with a wispy tail that, you know, a rat comes along and tries to bite it and uh, the snake turns around and um, bites into its prey. Uh, but humans have been bitten either accidentally or they've picked it up thinking it's a lizard. Mm. Uh, so we have seen cases of uh, death adder envenoming uh, all the way from Western Sydney all the way out to places like Orange and Mudgee where we sometimes get patients retrieved over here uh-huh. um, into our toxicology unit and uh, have to give them antivenom either here or they may have had some on route as well. Uh-huh. So talk me through then the science of the bite for someone that's brought in here, you know, say they've gotten, got bit by a brown snake. What happens? What's the venom actually doing to their body? Yeah. So Australian snake bite tends to cause a couple of key envenomation syndromes. Uh, One is neurotoxicity affecting nervous system and the other is uh, blood coagulation toxicity where it causes consumption of your coagulation factors in your body and then you bleed to death. Coagulation being clotting? That's right. Okay. So what it does is when you're um, envenomed, the saliva of the snake is injected into your skin. Uh, That protein, and uh, venom is just a large protein, uh, travels through your system, eventually into your bloodstream, and then targets various parts of your body and causes toxicity. So, for example, the death adder um, has neurotoxins in its venom. And those neurotoxins go and find um, your nerve synapses and uh, block them, which means that you can't move and become paralyzed. Wow. So death adder uh, envenoming is quite frightening because you're fully awake but completely paralyzed. Oh, jeez. And it's quite a a harrowing uh, feeling. So... That's one type of envenoming scenario. Uh, Brown snakes and tiger snakes, for example, which are found in New South Wales, uh, have hemotoxins or toxins that um, promote your blood clotting. But what happens is they promote it at a way that is thousands of times more rapid than what your body would do. Mm. So what happens is you run out of your clotting factors in your body. And when you run out of clotting factors you can suddenly bleed from anywhere, including bleeding in the internal organs or bleeding in the brain. 
and that causes uh, hemorrhage and uh, you die from bleeding to death, really. Internally. Internally, yeah. Okay, so it's pretty awful either way. It sounds like one of the first tasks for your team is to find out what's actually happened to someone, like what animal has bitten them and that's going to change the course of treatment? Yes, it does. So based on the story, the geography, um, how the snake uh, bite happened, plus the symptoms and signs that the patient has, as well as, uh, importantly, the blood test results that come back, we can work out what type of animal has bitten you and then give the appropriate antivenom. Mm. So you mentioned earlier that deaths are less common these days because of antivenom and advancements there. Is there any work that you've been involved in to contribute to that, to that research and to those breakthroughs? Well, about 10 years ago, the Australian Snakebite Project uh, set up uh, a national registry of snakebite, and they've done a lot of good work in trying to find out more about venom and what's the appropriate treatment for that. And Western Sydney has certainly contributed. Okay. Uh, so we've uh, had cases that we've uh, pulled as part of a national registry of research, and uh, there's been a lot of good outcomes from the Australian Snakebite Project, which has got an appropriate uh, acronym of ASP. Ah, nice. That's clever. Obviously, uh, I would prefer not to need antivenom. So what's the advice for people to avoid getting bitten or stung or envenomed in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. It's very important that people um, make sure that uh, they don't do bushwalking at night uh, when snakes uh, and animals are more active, mm. um, that, that they stick to well-trodden paths, um, and that uh, whenever they do go bushwalking, that they carry um, uh, the right equipment in, should they be, get bitten. Uh, and that includes a firm crepe bandage, or sometimes you can buy snake bandages uh, from um, various outlets. And uh, when you're swimming, uh, if you're in a jellyfish zone, you should be wearing a stinger suit. Uh, these are the important things to make sure that you don't get bitten. Um, and also when you're bushwalking, we do have the paralytic tick. Um, so you've got to make sure that uh, you check yourself for ticks and um, any other uh, fellow bushwalkers that you um, come back from your bushwalk and check for ticks, particularly in those hard to reach places where you might not think to look. Mm. So if someone got a, a paralytic tick, how long are you looking at between the bushwalk and when they might start to get sick? Usually uh, you notice it within a few days um, and in an adult you'd need multiple ticks to make that happen. But in smaller people and children, even one tick is enough to cause paralysis. Wow. So um, usually within a week this person is completely paralysed. Irreversibly or...? Usually not. Usually um, if they get appropriate uh, hospital care uh, and the tick is removed, uh, they recover from that paralysis. Okay. And you mentioned earlier about wanting to have a bandage with you as well. Um, in the past, people have said things about you need to suck out the poison or something like that. What should you actually do? Hopefully you don't get bitten, but if you do, what, what do you need to do next? Yeah, I think some of the um, bravado techniques of the past need to be left in the past. And, um, uh, if you are bitten by a snake, uh, you need to make sure that you uh, back away slowly from the snake and go to a safe location, uh, that you call triple O immediately, um, that you keep very calm and still. Uh, make sure you don't run or 
uh, try and catch the snake. Uh, you shouldn't cut out the location uh, on your body <laughs> where you were uh, bitten. Don't suck it or wash it or anything like that. Um, keep very still. Put a pressure immobilization bandage on, a firm crepe bandage, um, like for a sprained ankle, for example. Mm. Um, and then um, if there is a stick or something nearby that will keep your arm or leg uh, in a still position, you can bandage that along with your um, leg. Oh, wow. Uh, and then hopefully help will come to you pretty soon. If you're not sure um, and you need more information about what you may have been bitten by uh, and you have no um, symptoms or signs, then you can ring the New South Wales Poisons Information Centre on 131126. Um, but if you are actually bitten, you should ring triple O. Okay. We'll definitely uh, include that advice in the show notes as well. Are there any other sort of common misconceptions or uh, weird beliefs that you've heard along the way in your career? Uh, look, there's been uh, many um, shaman or trickster uh, kind of treatments for snake bite uh, used all around the world, mm. um, including crazy things like snake stones and um, all sorts of treatments. Um, a lot of them obviously have been disproven, but um, thankfully in Australia we don't have a lot of this being used uh, and people do follow the right advice. So generally speaking, don't use a stone, call triple zero. That's right. Great. I'm curious as well, you know, this um, summer so far, it's been pretty wet. Uh, there's been a lot of rain. Uh, with rain comes a lot more mosquitoes, which we talked about last year with uh, Dr. Cameron Webb. But for your uh, career, is it for toxicology, does the wet weather change anything for you? Well, in general, if it's wet, we probably will see less people bushwalking and having encounters with animals. Uh, but with wet weather also comes the potential for more mushrooms um, that could grow over the next month or so. And we may um, see patients who have inadvertently swallowed uh, or ingested a poisonous mushroom. Wow. So importantly, the advice is make sure you don't uh, pick wild mushrooms uh, in the forest or on the road or anywhere like that and certainly don't cook them and eat them up. <laughs> um, uh, make sure you buy mushrooms for eating from a credible shop. Okay. What, what's the, how dangerous are poisonous mushrooms? How serious are we talking we get the full gambit of just some vomiting uh, and abdominal pain um, all the way through to much more serious illness where they can cause uh, coma, hallucinations, uh, as well as severe liver failure, needing a liver transplant um, uh, and or death. So we see the full spectrum of that. Uh, obviously, the um, uh, the worst end of it is much less common. Uh-huh. Okay, so definitely sticking to the local grocer for that one. <laughs> yeah. No foraging for me. I think that's uh, pretty much all we had time for today. But uh, Professor Naren Gunja, thank you so much for your expertise and hopefully not giving people too many creepy crawlies today. <laughs> Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in uh, for our first episode of Season 2 of Western Sydney Health Check. Uh, make sure you head online and check out all our other uh, previous episodes as well for some uh, great expertise from minds across Western Sydney. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is produced by Western Sydney Local Health District. For the latest news, visit us at thepulse.org.au.